Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Today's episode of Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor for my podcast, as well as the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. With just two taps on your phone, you can instantly buy SeatGeek tickets to an event, and you can enter that event just using your phone. No paper tickets. Drop your old ticket app. Use one that's built for 2016. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. And don't forget to check out my fairly new website, TheRinger.com, for the very best in sports, tech, and pop culture coverage. And don't forget about The Ringer Podcast Network, which features Keeping It 1600, The Watch, Channel 33, Shack House, and our Ringer shows for the NFL, NBA, and MLB. And finally, don't forget about my new television show, Any Given Wednesday, which runs every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. on HBO and reruns on HBO Now, HBO Go, and HBO On Demand. Welcome to the Channel 33 College Football Show, Week 2 edition. My name is Mallory Rubin. I'm the deputy editor of The Ringer, a wonderful website that we would love for you to check out and then check out again and again and again. And I am joined once again by Ben Glixman, articles editor, college football enthusiast, wonderful human. Ben, hello. How are you? I'm good, Mal. How's everything going? Ben, it's football season. I mean, how else could it be going? It's great. Yeah, we got quite the quite the week one. Lots of upsets. The preseason rankings obliterated in about like the span of six hours. So we got off to a hot start. It was pretty incredible. A lot of action. Part of what made it so fun, of course, was just the sheer number of days over which we got to enjoy football. It started in pretty entertaining fashion on Thursday. We all thought it was going to be a bit of a, a snoozer of an opening slate, but Tennessee kind of fucked around for a little while there before pulling it out. And then things stayed interesting the whole time. We got to watch Christian McCaffrey and Stanford on Friday. Saturday was absolutely amazing. Sunday gave us the the Notre Dame-Texas thriller of the ages. You heard it here first, folks. Texas pulled off the upset as predicted. And I don't care that I got a lot of other stuff wrong last week. I am going to claim this one for the rest of my life. And then Monday... Florida State with an astonishing second half comeback against Ole Miss. So it was awesome from start to finish. And I think because there was so much joy, so much sadness, so much intrigue, we should just start with a little recap before we look ahead to week two. Who who are your winners and losers from week one? Give me one of each. So my winner from week one is a team, well, really the coach of a team that we sort of both knocked a little bit in our preview, uh, preview edition of this podcast. I'm going with Tom Herman of Houston. Ah, yes. uh, they they went against Oklahoma. They just basically kicked the crap out of them for 60 minutes. They had a kick six. Greg Ward looked great. Duke Catalan at running back looks great. They have this freshman, Ed Oliver, who's the highest uh, ranked recruit in program history and just looks like he is going to be a future number one NFL draft pick in a few years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically – they lived up to the hype and more. Any job that, that Herman wants sort of after the season is basically his at this point. And uh, Pete Thamel from Sports Illustrated actually wrote a really good piece um, about sort of behind the scenes with uh, Herman and Houston heading into this game. But one of the notes um, from that piece is that if Houston gets into the Big 12, Herman is due for a $5 million 
raise. He gets a $5 million bonus, $2.5 million in each of the next two seasons after they join a Power 5 conference. So a lot going right for uh, for Tom Herman in Houston. Decent chunk of change. How many grills can you buy with $5 million? And just to be clear, I don't mean like grills that you use to cook meat. I mean the, the grills that you put on your teeth. The, the Paul Wall grills, yeah. Um, I I don't know exactly. I would need to get an exact estimate, but I am, I am 100% certain that he will use all $5 million on grills. I can tell you that definitively. Probably so. Probably so. Um, I'll give you my winner, and then we can then we can go negative and switch to the losers. My winner, Ben. It's not a team. It's not a coach. It's not a player. It's a network. Showtime. Because a season with Florida State for two quarters looked like it was going to be instantly irrelevant as a season-long television enterprise. And then Florida State saved not only its season and championship hopes, but also this show, which is great because this show is going to be fun. I I loved a season with Notre Dame last year. I thought the premiere of a season with Florida State was pretty fun. It was... uh, it was full of, of a lot of reveals, including the fact that Jimbo Fisher is somehow even shorter than I, I realized. Um, but they've got a, you know, a vibrant, a vibrant freshman star at quarterback to basically focus on all, all season, which is uh, which is pretty cool. You know, my title pick still looks good, Ben. It was it was dire there for a while, but holding on. Heisman pick looks OK ish. The Knowles have life and so does this TV program. It's a big win. It's a big win for Showtime. Big win. And yeah, I think as far as Heisman pick, you may have picked the wrong player on that team, but you may have been right with the Seminoles, but you may have just picked the wrong offensive standout. Give it time. Give it time. Plenty more Florida State talk coming on this podcast, I assure Plenty you. Plenty more Florida State talk. Talking about the Knowles. Talking about the Knowles. Uh, ben, what about what about a loser? Who uh, who gets the loser, the loser, not award, dishonor from, from you this week? The loser dishonor. Uh, there were a lot of choices here, which is very yes. exciting. I am going to give it, though, to LSU. LSU's offensive line. Um, I think LSU's loss, I mean, there were a lot of top teams that lost this weekend. Oklahoma obviously lost, Ole Miss lost, Um, Tennessee almost lost to Appalachian State, which would have just been amazing and totally predictable all at the same time. Um, But I'm going with LSU's offensive line. Brandon Harris obviously did not look good. He went 12 of 21, 131 yards with two interceptions. Leonard Fournette was held in check for a lot of the time, but a lot of that was because the offensive line just was completely dominated by Wisconsin for most of the game. And if you look, if you watch the replay, um, last night I was watching the replay of Harris's back-breaking interception to end the game. Um, or, or that sealed the game for the Badgers in Lambeau Fields. And the difference on that play was that Vince Beagle, who's Wisconsin's um, really good outside linebacker, was totally unblocked on the play. Like, he got to Harris within seconds. Harris tried to do a little pirouette and then floated the ball down the left sideline, and it was picked off. I mean, Harris needs to have the wherewithal to, to be better than that. But when the offensive line is just sort of letting really big, fast – formidable pass rushers right through to the quarterback. It makes it a lot harder. So I think LSU as a whole is a big loser from week one, but the offensive line in particular really needs to be better moving forward. That's a good one. We thought about this in slightly different ways. You really focused in. You identified something specific and you said, this is the problem in a big way. I went broad, Ben. I didn't say LSU's line. I didn't say LSU's offense. I didn't even say LSU. 
I said the entire SEC. The SEC, wow. right. the SEC is my week one loser. I know this is sort of like the the hot take du jour right now and like a, a bit of a, a in vogue troll move. But Which I love, so I fully <laughs> encourage. Fully support that. Yeah. But uh, hot take du jour should be one of our segments moving forward. Um, I'm really concerned. I'm concerned about the SEC. Alabama looked uh, like the kind of unstoppable force that, that might be so far ahead of the rest of the teams that we should actually just cancel the season. So good on you for your your title pick, Ben. You're looking pretty smart right now. Other than that, it was. It was bold. You've been rewarded for your courage. Thanks. Other than that, though, the SEC showings ranged really somewhere from uninspiring to downright alarming. So let's quickly go through it. Our boys from Tennessee need to wake up. We still believe. I think I, I, I think I can speak for you and say that we still believe. But they were sleepwalking through the opener. Let's give a quick shout out to Amanda Dobbins' dad, a big Vols fan who listened to the podcast. Vanderbilt yeah. lost, but weirdly helped the SEC in doing so because Vandy lost to an SEC foe. So at least Car- uh, South Carolina got a win. That was something. Missouri lost to West Virginia. Worse. Missouri lost to West Virginia while West Virginia was wearing those really bad alternate helmets, which is not cool. Kentucky blew a 25-point lead to Southern Miz. That was amazing. Stumble that was so embarrassing that Mark Stoops actually had to apologize after the game. When you were apologizing for a loss, period, that is terrible. When you're doing it in week one, that's that's about as damning a sign for your season as you could have. Mississippi State missed a last-second field goal and lost to southern alabama not regular alabama ben southern alabama arkansas yeah. survived by one point ole miss crumbled against florida state going basically from looking for for the first half of this game like oh this might be the only team that can actually hang with alabama territory to this team probably couldn't beat South Alabama in the second half. And then worst of all, as you already talked about, LSU lost, which is a huge blow for the league because LSU was one of the top title threats. And more distressingly, this instantly rekindled the Les Miles hot seat talk, which is probably my least favorite thing in the sport right now. A&M managed to hold off UCLA and and looked okay, but, but only just barely survived. They almost blew that game. Auburn made Clemson sweat, you know, in, in what I would say is like, simultaneously impressive and baffling fashion that we can get into a little more later. But all told, the narrative for the league switched overnight in a kind of shocking way. And suddenly there's a lot of work to do to kind of get the reputation back to where it needs to be instead of an assumed path to the title game. That's weird. Yeah. The good thing about college football is narratives kind of have a tendency to change within a week, as as you just pointed out. I mean, I think Texas A&M and Auburn, you mentioned both of them, are both interesting cases um, because both of those programs for the past few years have been known primarily for their offense. And in both games, for the most part, their offense or in both both week one games, both the Aggies offense and the Tigers offense was not super great, but their defenses both looked really, really strong. So yeah. I actually am very intrigued by those teams. I think a loss to Clemson was to be expected um, by at least one of us on this podcast. <laughs> um but yeah, overall, not a great week for the SEC's death. Yeah, and you wrote about this. People should go read your piece from Saturday night. Like the nature of the sport is it's the impulse to overreact, which is simultaneously dangerous and, and often wrong and misguided, but also kind of the 
point and part of what makes it so fun. So you were encouraging people to really embrace the overreaction, to go all in on saying the SEC is doomed or Alabama is unstoppable. Yeah, it's wonderful. I think I think obviously it leads you to be wrong a lot of the time, but that is most of the fun of this sport is basically making wild predictions. And I mean, the sport for years and years, basically for as long as it's existed, it's been based on a random sort of arbitrary set of rankings. Now we have a committee, but the sport is basically founded on making stupid judgments about one team being better than the other. So I'm fully behind this. Okay. Speaking of rankings and stupid judgments, both of which you just mentioned, let's get to the next segment, poll watching. Let's each quickly give an overrated, underrated, and properly rated pick from the newest set of rankings that came out a couple days ago. Why don't you start? Who's your, who's your overrated pick for this week? So I think the easy answer here would have been Wisconsin, but that is not what I'm going with. I'm going to go with Georgia at number nine. Okay. I think I, I am a believer in Kirby Smart. I think Jacob Eason looked really good in the opener. And Nick Chubb rushing for 222 Incredible. yards. Yeah, that's Incredible. a delight. The, the the clip of the sermon or the preacher basically giving a sermon about his um, his return was a thing of beauty to fully encourage anything, anything that's praising Nick Chubb. I'm 100 percent down for. Um, but I still think there's there's a lot of question marks on this team. There's a lot of newness on this team. And if we're just going based off of what happened in week one, I think it's probably misguided to rank Georgia, who beat North Carolina ahead of teams like Wisconsin, who beat LSU, and Texas, who beat Notre Dame, in what I thought were more impressive week one wins. So Georgia's got a pretty manageable schedule. They have a lot of talent on that roster. They always have. But I want to see a little bit more before I'm willing to call them the number nine team in the country. All right. I respect that. You know what, though? I am going to go even higher in the polls. And I am going to say that my overrated pick for the week is easy. Number two, Clemson. Wow. All right. What's the the explanation here? Okay. So we should say like Clemson didn't actually move in the polls, right? But I think Clemson should have moved down in the polls. The Tigers really struggled, which... I, as we talked about last week, actually expected, you expected, but but as you were, were just mentioning, almost in the exact opposite way that we expected, which was surprising. You know, the defense lost so much talent to the draft and had us concerned, actually managed to, to completely confound Auburn offensively, though you could argue that Auburn confounded itself, which we will discuss more soon. You um, could argue that. <laughs> But Clemson held held the, the the SEC Tigers to 262 yards, forced three turnovers. The, the The problem was that the ACC Tigers struggled on offense. Clemson only put up 19 points, barely avoided the upset. This was a one-score win. Deshaun Watson, presumptive Heisman favorite and presumptive number one draft pick, was 19 of 34, 248 yards, one touchdown, one pick. If you're into QBR, which I am not, but hey, you know, you, you're all free to make your own choices. His was 53.8, which is not good. He only rushed for 21 yards. Mike Williams, the receiver, looked incredible in his first game back from the neck injury that cost him last season. That was awesome to see. But in general, this was not the lights out attack that we were, were expecting. And worse, more alarmingly, and I think you know, part of what should have influenced voters to knock Clemson down a peg or two. Dabo 
didn't just bring his own guts to this game. He brought a lot of seriously questionable judgment. I mean, the decision to go for it on fourth and four late instead of taking the points and icing the game was absolutely baffling. Could have cost them and probably should have. So, you know, my thing here is that Clemson didn't even look like the best team in its own conference because I think Florida State did. So how can it be the second best team in the country? Yeah, I, uh, I really like your strategy of doubling down and just basically crushing Clemson on a second straight podcast when when Deshaun Watson is like hoisting the Heisman Trophy and then the National Championship Trophy. Um, it will be really fun to, to listen back to these podcasts when we're saying like, yeah, they, they sucked against Auburn, but still somehow found a way to win. But I fully encourage it. I'm 100% behind it. I really appreciate Clemson's your support. Clemson's going 6-6. Six six. I really yeah, appreciate your support. You. It means you. a lot to me. Thank I'm you. I'm behind you 100%. All right, who is your who's your pick for underrated team of the week? Uh, I actually mentioned this a little bit in the in the preview episode of the podcast too, but my underrated team is number twenty four Oregon. Ah, uh, yes. I I they played a juggernaut in week one in UC Davis and somehow <laughs> found a way to win. So I uh, I don't know how they did it. Really hard fought battle, but uh, Dakota Prukop, their new quarterback, looked good. He threw for two hundred seventy yards and three touchdowns. I'll repeat this time and time again. Royce Freeman is one of the, the most underrated running backs in the nation. He should be mentioned in that conversation with Chubb, um, basically right behind the level of Fournette and McCaffrey of the best running backs in college football. They have some good skill position players in Darren Carrington and uh, Charles Nelson. I, uh, I just think there's no reason they should be number 16 in a team like Iowa should be number uh, or they should be number 24 and a team like Iowa should be number 16. Although, uh, shouts to uh, Kurt Ferentz for getting another <laughs> extension through the year, I think like 2080. So, um, good on him. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I, I just, I don't know how he does it. What a legend. Um, my pick, Notre Dame, 18 in the AP poll, 21 in the coaches. That is an eight and 12 spot drop respectively for those two polls, uh, as a result of losing in overtime on the road to a team that's now 11th in the AP poll and, as you noted, should probably be even higher. So the Irish lost, yes. They have to move down, yes. But they weren't bad. They looked really good, in fact. And they looked good enough to probably have beaten most other teams in most other games over the weekend. They didn't turn the ball over. They won the time of possession battle. I don't understand what they did that really justified a drop that severe. Here's what I'll say about Notre Dame. My, if you remember, I picked them as one of my four playoff teams. Oh, I remember. They did a, they did a good job of really getting off to a really brilliant start for me. So thanks, Notre Dame, for, for really coming through. Um, here's what they did. They didn't know how to stop Texas despite knowing what was happening on basically every play. Like, you knew what Shane Bichelle was going to do in Sterling Gilbert's new Baylor offense. That's how that works. And then more infuriating is when they brought out uh, Tyrone Swoops, when Texas brought out Tyrone Swoops in the 18-wheeler package, which, quick note, is just already my favorite thing about this college football season is that Texas has an 18-wheeler package, which is just terrific. Um, But you know he's going to run the ball. Like, he does the same thing every play, and they just could not stop it to save their life. I thought Deshaun Kaiser had, in my opinion, the most impressive quarterback performance in week one of anybody, period. Like, hard stop. I think there was a lot of really, really good brilliant or quarterback play. I thought Kaiser was brilliant. He had that one throw to uh, Josh Adams uh, for a 17-yard touchdown that temporarily put the Irish ahead that was just an NFL throw. Um, but, yeah, the defense – has more questions than I thought they had uh, when I originally predicted them to go to the playoff. 
The 18 wheeler thing has a real belldozer feel. Like, remember every time Bell would come in for Oklahoma and it's like, you know exactly what is happening here. And then every time it was a touchdown, very strange. But yeah, you're right. They couldn't stop Texas, but Texas couldn't stop Notre Dame either. It was just that kind of game. That's um, true. I think it's just, I, I, you know, they should have dropped maybe just in my mind, not not quite that far. What about who's your properly properly rated pick? Who's ju- just where just where it should be? Uh, my properly rated pick is Louisville at number 13. Ah, they were okay. at number 19. They jumped up six spots for just totally annihilating Charlotte, um, which seems like uh, an appropriate number of spots to jump up after kicking the shit out of a really bad team. So um, Lamar Jackson looks great. He put up like 400 plus yards and eight touchdowns in the first half. But again, he did it against a low-level team that's not even a good low-level team. So I think putting them in the number 13 spot is is really good for now. They play Florida State in a couple weeks. We'll really see what this Louisville team is made out of. But, yeah, I saw number 13 next to Louisville, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's a good spot for this Cardinals team. My only counterpoint, I considered going with Louisville as well, but my only counterpoint is that they should have moved up eight spots instead of six because they should always move up or down uh, as many – touchdowns or interceptions as Lamar Jackson has. I just think that would be a fun way to play out the season. That's my I mean, suggestion. It, w- it would make about as much sense as the current way that we do the polls. <laughs> exactly. So I am, uh, yeah. I Why mean, not I, try something don't new? don't really have a counter there. That's let's, fine. Let's keep this fresh, people. Um, yeah. Okay, my, my pick is uh, Michigan. Fifth in the AP, sixth in the coaches. This, this ranking perfectly reflects our assessment of Michigan at the moment. Still just a shade behind Ohio State in terms of reputation and trust level. Not quite yet in the unanimous, this is a playoff team grouping, but right on the fringes of the conversation, waiting to slide in the second any of the teams above it happens to have a bad day. You know, beating Hawaii at home isn't going to convince anyone that you're a title contender, but uh, in general, a 63-3 to romp, that's a top five team level result. So, you know, the, the Wolverines didn't punt. They only allowed 2.2 yards per rush. They looked great on both sides of the ball. Harbaugh was incredible. Go read Katie Baker's Harbaugh piece, people, if you haven't already. Uh, it was number time, number five uh, team stuff. Yeah, the, the defense is not going to allow a touchdown until, like, November. The Michigan's defense <laughs> looks amazing. The, the other player on Michigan who is going to be a problem for opponents this year is Chris Evans, their, their oh, new yeah. running back. Um, I mean, I think we, we knew a couple of the players on Michigan who would be key to that offense. Wilton Spate looks pretty good. Um, again, he got off to a rough start, but then he, he settled down again. It was Hawaii. Um, but Chris Evans looks like he, he's the truth. I think he's going to be a big factor in how far Michigan ultimately goes this season. Satellite camp kid. Satellite kid, you know, hey. Love it. I, we'll, uh, we'll revisit the satellite camp discussion when we need to fill podcasts like for the seven months of the off season. We'll just talk about them week after week. So I want to I want to save all this fodder until then. Great idea. Maybe we'll hit the road, do a little satellite camp tour of our own. That's this is a great idea. I like how you're thinking. You're always looking ahead. It's it's really it's admirable. Yeah, that's what I do as an editor. <laughs> All right, guys, we will be back with some quarterback talk and week two preview after a quick break. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to let you know about our political podcast. It's called Keeping It 1600. 
It stars John Favreau and Dan Pfeiffer, two guys who used to work for Obama. They have a lot of opinions on a lot of stuff. They had so many opinions that we had to branch it out. And now we also have a second version of the podcast with John Favreau, Tommy Vitor, and John Lovett. Again, all of them work for Obama. They have the inside stuff on the White House, the election, everything you want to hear. People love it. Check it out. Keeping it 1600, only on the Ringer Podcast Network. And now, back to your podcast. All right, Ben, it's time to talk quarterbacks. We've already mentioned a couple of the people that we need to discuss in depth, but in many ways, unsurprisingly, the quarterback play defined the opening slate, specifically some of the new faces we saw and specifically some of the weird timeshares that we saw. So let's talk about a couple of these things. First, tell us which first-time starter you're buying into the most. So I think there were three three real options here, um, I, and unless I'm totally overlooking somebody, which is possible. But I think the three real options are Shane Bichel at Texas, DeAndre Francois at Florida State, and Jalen Hurts at Alabama, um, who all put on really, really impressive performances uh, in their opening games. Um, I am going to give the edge to Francois. I thought... Hertz looked great, but he went against in a USC defense that was basically just stadium decoration by by midway <laughs> through the second quarter. Like they just sort of arranged a couple of ornaments. Like it was like an obstacle course. It was a fun game for the Crimson Tide to play um, while they were just absolutely destroying everything that had to do with the Trojans program. And we didn't mention it in winners and losers, but quick shout to to Lane Kiffin for for that tweet. Um, oh my god! The hashtag three fourteen LAX. So good on him. So I thought he was great. I thought Bouchelle was great. We already talked about the eighteen wheeler, but to me, Francois had the most sort of adversity in his start. I mean, he started off looking really shaky. They fell behind twenty eight to six, um, and then he just got it together. Like he that pass to Travis Rudolph where he got absolutely crushed towards the end of the first half, really turned it around. And he sort of did everything with both his arms and his leg the rest of the way. I think if any of these guys is actually a Heisman candidate beyond just being the most impressive uh, quarterback of these newcomers in week one, I think it's Francois. But, um, but I'd love to hear which one of these guys impressed you the most. Ben, I think that in general today, we have done a good job of not just agreeing on every single thing and saying the exact same thing as each other and just repeating the same points back and forth for 45 minutes, which was a nice bonding experience last week, but maybe not ultimately, you know, as interesting as saying different things. However, uh, our streak has come to an end because Ah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I am all in on the DeAndre Francois experience. I was all in on this before I'd even seen him actually play. So now that I have seen him play and have seen him lead a comeback against the number 11 team in the country, I'm smitten. I'm completely smitten. He took so many hits in this game, but he stayed strong in the pocket, hung in to make tough throws, knew when to scramble, showed real zip on his passes, serious arm strength, the ability to make pretty good fast reads it was hard not to I, I really as a general rule I hate 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 the tendency to always be like this guy reminds me of this guy but when the camera kept cutting to Jameis Winston on the sideline it was hard not to to think about that about the last redshirt freshman quarterback who came in and led this team 
to to the promised land, you know, to a championship. So I, I agree that all of these guys were were pretty awesome. You know, Michelle was way more impressive than I was expecting. I mean, we didn't even know if we were going to see him, and then he, you know, he started and played well. I don't think there's any doubt that he's a more capable passer than Swoops, and and ultimately the the quarterback that Texas needs to ride. But it's that weird thing where the other guy in that timeshare actually got the glory and the 18 wheeler package is is like the storyline and is going to remain a key part of what texas does so he looked good but he's not really like in the oh this guy could lead this team to a title position that francois instantly has occupied i think um you know hurts he's the one that i i left the weekend actually with like the least clear read on partially because i mean watching that game it felt like watching like a farce or a tragic comedy more than an actual football game. So it's hard to really know how seriously to take anything you saw. I mean, he looked poised. He looked confident, turned the ball over twice, but accounted for four touchdowns. And one of those turnovers was literally on his first play. So he recovered from that in pretty impressive fashion. Right. But he didn't start. Saban hasn't said that he'll start week two against Western Kentucky. Now, obviously like Saban (laughs) to his immense credit, flat out owned the fact that he didn't reveal his quarterback plans heading into week one because the whole entire point is to gain an advantage over the opponent not to make reporters jobs easier which I thought was both very amusing and and very true um so this you know could just be more gamesmanship on his part but I don't know you know Hertz is is so young and inexperienced still that even in a blowout I think that was like every snap matters and his precious experience territory and the fact that that Saban not only started Barnett, but then put him back in late was a little surprising. So maybe maybe Alabama's not totally done with the Barnett experience yet. I don't know. I mean, Hertz looked awesome, but it's hard to it's hard to say that he is at quite the same level of like this is this guy's team uh, that that Francois is. Yeah, I mean, Hertz only attempted eleven passes. That's that's the thing. I mean, he looked really good. Obviously, he made a bunch of plays with his legs, but that game in particular, it was so hard to get a read for it in the second half, just because things were spiraling so quickly. I mean, the amazing thing is that USC was leading three, nothing midway through the second quarter and then was outscored 52 to three the rest of the way. I mean, that's like being stuck in traffic for like 20 minutes and then deciding to go 110 miles an hour for the next 40 minutes. Um, it's like deciding know. to make your car fly so that you can just skip the traffic. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was insane. I mean, everything just happened so quickly and then, and then, yeah, and then it was 52 to 6. Um, maybe, it was, maybe it was a result of the Jabari Ruffin stepping on Minka Fitzpatrick's nuts. I mean, maybe that, 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 that shifted the whole thing. But, I, uh, but, yeah, I agree. I think Francois was the one that I have the most – was the performance that I have the most faith in sort of moving forward. I think the other ones were both really impressive and very intriguing, but I am, uh, I'm not 100% bought in yet. So many karma tweets after the nut stomping. So many karma <laughs> tweets. Um, okay. There was another team out there that uh, sort of had the opposite problem. Not too many good quarterbacks, but too few or at least uh, too little clarity on how to use them. What the hell was Auburn doing and what the hell should Auburn do moving forward? So for that second question, is it <laughs> – is it what should Auburn do moving forward in order to win or what should Auburn do moving forward in order to be the most entertaining for me personally? Uh, I'd love to hear both answers. 
Okay, so let me start with the second one. I would prefer that Gus Malzahn just flips a coin on every single play. Actually, maybe he needs like a, a day, a die, just because he has so many quarterbacks. Like a, a coin, it's sort of like you're picking between two guys, yeah. but he's picking a, between a three. A coin so. is far too restrictive it's, for what yeah, Malzahn yeah, is trying yeah, to maybe do. Maybe we need like a wheel, like a spin a wheel, and then it has more than those three guys. Like he can pull guys from the stands like maybe did. Maybe he puts himself in a QB. Maybe he's got some eligibility left. I don't know. Maybe you um, write the names to the quarterbacks inside a roll of toilet paper like you unroll it you write down the names on every ply then you re-roll it then you you roll tumor's corner okay and then whatever ply comes up last that's the guy you put in but you have to do it every snap to keep things interesting do you think the game would take too long then i don't i think that's a that's better than any of the ideas i have i'm I'm 100% behind you once again. Um, but yeah, I mean, any anything that's just basically leaving it up to random chance is the way that I would prefer this to go. Um, if they are looking to win, however, I would probably say if you had decided on Sean White is going to be your starter going into the season, maybe give him a chance to start. Like he played for, I don't know, he, he played for like – 39 plays or 40 plays or something that was so minimal for a guy who um, was named the starter before the game. I think if, if that's the guy that Gus thinks is going to be, he's going to give Auburn the best chance to win, then he actually has to let him give Auburn the best chance to win. Yeah. I mean, look, sometimes we can be hyperbolic just for the sake of drama, but it is actually not an exaggeration to say that Gus Malzahn's supposed offensive genius cost Auburn the game here by by changing quarterbacks as frequently as he did against Clemson. It, it, I agree. It was relentless. It was dizzying. And it wasn't just that we didn't really know what we were watching. You kind of had to assume that the players didn't know what was going on either because how could that not have been completely confusing? Like how can you get into a rhythm either as the quarterback or as the guy – or guys around the quarterback when that is happening. You know, <laughs> he his quote was like, a little unknown right there. Throw in a lot at the opponent. That was his justification for what he was trying to do. The problem with that approach is that it was also a little unknown for his own team. Like, you, it, it doesn't, it's not okay to stump the competition if you're stumping yourself in the process. So, you know, he's saying now that... Sean White's going to start and the John Franklin's going to be the backup. It sounds like Jeremy Johnson's the, the odd man out, but I, I personally am not quite ready to let the, the, the Johnson uh, dream die. But here's a little fun fact, right? Jalen Ramsey, lord and savior of not only this podcast, but all Ringer podcasts, threw <laughs> insane shade at Franklin during that the was game. Nuts. That was nuts. Tweeting, yeah. and I quote, John Franklin left FSU as a third string and ended up at Auburn still and still is in all caps a third string. Maybe it's not the program, my dude. Wow. Wow. Yeah. If Jalen yeah. Ramsey hates you, how can America love you? Yeah. Jalen Ramsey was not holding anything back there. So, uh, yeah, Auburn. I mean, Auburn's defense looked really good, but yeah, maybe, maybe pick a guy. Maybe, maybe the best decision is to just pick a quarterback. All right, one more team that ultimately picked a quarterback, but initially it looked like maybe it wasn't going to pick a quarterback, Notre Dame. I would like us to both give a we're going to we'll go in a little more depth, but I want us to give a one word answer first, okay? Should Malik Zaire ever see another snap? One, two, three. 
And no. 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 <laughs> my answer was actually going to be like uh, just a deep guttural growl, like some, you know what I mean? Just kind of like a, I, I'm not going to do this on the podcast. It's going to sound horrible if I do. But basically it was like, I said last week on the podcast that Notre Dame couldn't go wrong at quarterback because they had two good options. That was an incorrect statement. I would like to apologize <laughs> to all of you listeners for saying that it could be either or because Malik Zaire looks like he had completely forgotten how to play quarterback and Deshaun Kaiser looked like Jesus. So I, <laughs> there was quite a discrepancy. I think, I think you got to go with Kaiser from this point on. Yeah, I mean, I look, I feel for Malik Zaire. I really do. He was amazing against Texas in last year's opener. It's not his fault that he got hurt. It's not his fault that another player came in to replace him and that that player is better. But that is what happened. You know, Kaiser, he, he didn't just look good. I mean, you've said this already. He looked transcendent against Texas. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Was, he was playing at the, oh, maybe Deshaun Watson isn't actually the best quarterback in the country level. And it, it, it's pretty simple. Notre Dame already has a loss on the books and can't afford another. So Zaire can't play because fucking with what Kaiser has going – I, I, it would basically be like bordering on like negligence that is a fireable offense. Yeah. So the thing is with Texas's two quarterback package, right? They had very defined roles. Like when Bichelle was in, they were going to run uh, the Baylor offense. He was going to be airing it out all over the field. When the 18 wheeler package was happening, Swoops was just going to go. He was just going to run. Like you knew that each of these quarterbacks had a very defined way that he was going to be used. With Notre Dame's quarterback situation, they were sort of both using the same playbook, except one guy was doing it far superior to the other guy. Right. So it's it's not a sort of it's not a situation that's suited to a timeshare. Yeah, there's nothing to be gained from it. All you're you're doing is taking snaps away from the better guy. All right, I think we're on the same page with this one, and I think probably, hopefully, uh, Notre Dame is too. Then. Yeah. It is time for our final segment of the week. We're going to we're going to wrap this up here. It's time to polish the week 2 turd because Let's do it. Week 2 sucks, man. <laughs> there are no good games. This is lame. There were so many good games in week 1, so I guess we got spoiled, but I think even if week 1 had sucked, we would still think the week two slate looked terrible. Let me share with you a little nugget the that uh, ESPN stats and info tweeted. Week Please do. Weeks with no ranked matchups in the last 10 seasons. Okay? Okay. 2012, week two. 2009, week 12. 2008, week two. And 2016, week two. Uh, that's it. Yeah, that's that's not great. I mean, that's I think... Poor. Yeah, so last week it was being touted as the greatest opening weekend in college football ever. Like, you may have heard that one or two or 285 times within, like, a four or five minute span. Um, I really wish that the networks this week were touting this as the worst, worst week two slate ever with the same oh, no. aggressive nature. Yeah, you know what? Like, you played up how great week one was. Now please play up how terrible this week's slate of games is. The thing is... Sometimes a really feeble slate can actually be super fun because that's when the things that you aren't expecting to happen actually happen, right? So let's try to find some positivity here. Let's give the readers... No, you're not reading this. You guys are listening to this with your ears, not your eyes. Let's give the listeners... (laughs) 
<laughs> I need another coffee. Some things to look forward to. Let's start with which game might not suck. Why don't you go first? So let me begin this by saying that I was, uh, I spent most of my sort of childhood living in central Pennsylvania. Um, I then Ben, can I stop to- you for a second? You can. Yeah, you can stop me right there. What's going on? Did you grow up in a town by any chance that had a maple syrup festival? Uh, it did. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I lived in Cowdersport, Pennsylvania. I'm proud of Cowdersport, Pennsylvania. It had a maple syrup festival. It was wonderful. It happened once a year. And yeah, I, uh, I've been hooked on I've been hooked on maple candy ever since. Yeah, don't talk bad about maple syrup festivals. Sure. You that's, can talk bad about year. You can talk bad about a lot of things in college football. But if you talk bad about maple syrup festivals, I might just have to go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so all of this is a way of saying I am very excited about the return of Pitt versus Penn State. Um, these teams haven't played in sixteen in sixteen seasons. That's crazy. Um, it's crazy. This is a rivalry that is really good. I mean, basically all of the rivalries with Pitt football have sort of fallen apart now that like Pitt WVU doesn't happen on an annual basis, and Pitt Penn State hasn't happened in a generation basically um so yeah i'm really excited about this there's a lot of storylines in play too for james franklin in particular this is a really important game i mean i think people at penn state are starting to get frustrated with him he's breaking in a new quarterback trace mcsorley who's taking over for christian hackenberg who i'm not sure if you've heard now plays for the jets um but uh but yeah i mean i think Pitt enters this game as a five and a half point favorite. Uh, we get to see James Conner at running back for Pitt, who is a truly inspiring story and scored a touchdown in week one against Villanova. We get to see Saquon Barkley at running back for Penn State, who was one of the more underrated tailbacks in the nation. Um, we get to see Jordan Whitehead. I, I think this is a game um, with stakes, with the return of a rivalry. Uh, I'm excited to see it. Ben, I really admire your ability to to find just enthusiasm and joy anywhere you look. It's it's wonderful. You're, you're, it comes you're it comes from it comes from the maple syrup. Just, Let me tell you. If, if, have you ever seen the movie uh, Elf? You know how like Buddy just pours maple syrup on everything. It really is the better way to go through life. I would uh, I would encourage you to to eat maple syrup as much as you can. You've just got that sugary goodness coursing through your veins. I'm uh, I'm very jealous. I do not, and so I had a really hard time <laughs> picking a game that I was excited about this week, but I got inspiration from Ringer intern Zach Cram, who made the following observation about Arkansas TCU. Ringer preseason letterman Kenny Hill, our chosen quarterback, facing off against Ringer Letterman coach Brett Bielma. That's about as good as it can get for this week. So I'm just going to go all in on our Ringer Letterman and say that both of these teams played like shit in week one, have a chance to redeem themselves, and the team that doesn't do that is going to be in pretty bad position, and the team that does can really jumpstart the season from there. So uh, let's uh, let's see what uh, what Kenny Hill can do against the uh, the Arkansas defense. Yeah, Kenny Trill versus Burt, I'm in. All right, what about an individual matchup? Not the teams, but a player on one side against a player on the other. Is there anything that's particularly intriguing to you? So I sort of cheated here. I have a player on one side just going against a defense on the other. Um, I took, I'm I'm excited to see Texas Tech quarterback Patrick Mahomes against Arizona State's defense. Um, I think 
They play at 10 p.m. Um, Eastern time on Saturday. There is a high possibility for Pac-12 after dark in this game. The over-under heading into the game was 79, which is uh, oh which God. is an eye-popping over-under. Yeah, it's really amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's I think that's a That's not a real over-under. That's insane. That's a real over-under. It's 79, yeah. That's and the number the, you pick when you're trying to make a funny joke. It's incredible, and the the sort of gambling write up I was I was reading, um, I believe it was on CBS Sports, um, heading into this week was actually recommending taking the over. So it's really going to be something to behold on Saturday night if you're just in the mood to watch teams score a combined 147 points. Uh, but yeah, Patrick Mahomes I think is one of the the top quarterbacks in the nation that we don't talk about. He threw for 4,000 yards last year. He ran for 450 yards. Um, and he's in that, that, that Cliff Kingsbury offense. We know Texas Tech can score. Um, so I think in week one, he had a really impressive performance, but it was against Stephen F. Austin, which is not really a good indication of anything, um, except that you played Stephen F. Austin and succeeded. Uh, where Arizona State, I think, will actually get a little bit of um, a lens about how he really is going to fare this season and whether this guy could potentially be a dark horse Heisman candidate. I like that. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to go with uh, a, a player against a player because that was that was the assignment, and I'm going to follow the rules. Uh, good, good on you. <laughs> Ben, I don't know if you've heard, um, Virginia Tech plays Tennessee at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway, which is a racetrack. Some people have been talking about that. I've heard. Oh, okay. I think that the instinct here is to wonder how Tennessee quarterback Josh Dobbs is going to bounce back against Bud Foster's D, but I'm actually equally curious about the other side of things. I really am eager to see Virginia Tech wide receiver Isaiah Ford go up against Vols corner Camp Sutton. Uh, you know, Ford set single-season records uh, for, for receptions, yards, and touchdowns last season. He is one of the more underrated offensive players in the country, and he's going to go up against one of the more underrated defenders. So I think this could be a really cool player-on-player um, player pairing and matchup in a week that is kind of light on intrigue. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good choice. I think that um, that game might not be particularly thrilling, but I think the atmosphere will be freaking awesome. So, I mean, it, that is a game that I think may not be a ton of fun to watch on TV, but being there would be a hell of an experience. Would it, will it be more or less fun to watch on TV than the actual races that take place at Bristol Motor Speedway? Uh, I mean, I, I personally prefer college football, so I'm gonna. I'm so gonna, there you go. I'm gonna give it the edge, but only ever so slightly. There you go, guys. We still have something to be grateful for. It's college football, not racing. Um, all right, last question, and then we're we're gonna bounce. Who should be on upset alert? All right, you ready for this? You ready for this upset prediction now? I am. Illinois, the University of Illinois is, which last week I said did not have a football program, is going to beat UNC this week. Wow. Tate is going to be so pissed at you. I know. I'm sorry, Tate. I apologize in advance. Um, well, I guess not in advance. Not in I just advance. Made this, I, I just made this. I apologize in advance of the upset. Um, Lovey Smith, I don't know if you've heard this, Matt. Lovey Smith is the coach at Illinois right now. I have heard. Um, and he has sort of inspired the offense, which is led by quarterback Wes Luntz. I don't know if you remember him. He played at Oklahoma State previously. 
um, to take more of a rushing approach. And they had this running back, uh, Kendrick Foster, who ran for 118 yards on four carries in week one. I mean, they played a bad opponent, but look at what UNC allowed from, from Nick Chubb, which was all of the rushing yards. Um, I think this game is going to be close, and I think Illinois is eventually going to pull it out. I mean, the game's happening at Illinois. The spread entering this game is nine points, which may sort of open some eyes for, for teams that just are familiar with UNC's 2015 season um, in Illinois' past however many years of football existence. Um, but, but I have faith in the Illini. I think they, uh, I think they pull a big upset here, and me too. All right, Ben. My, my pick is not based on football or football reasons. My pick is Iowa losing to Iowa State because while Iowa State is definitively not good at football and while Iowa is definitively good at football, the idea of the Hawkeyes losing immediately after Kirk Ferentz signed another contract extension is just just the most beautiful thing to, to contemplate. So I kind of want this to happen because I think it would just be sheer comedy um but i also kind of think it will because these are the things that sort of have happened to deference in iowa yeah this uh that would be not only a glorious turn of events but also a very um a very feasible turn of events i could see that happening pretty easily um the other team i real quick and i won't get into this too long i think usc utah state i mean Utah State's not a gimme game. USC looked like total garbage in week one. I think USC will ultimately win, but I think that game's going to come down to the fourth quarter. That's a good one. I wonder what Lane Kiffin will have to say about that. I'm sure he'll let us know with with uh, a bitmoji, probably. Probably so. All right, Ben, this was fun. Enjoy the games as best you can, and we'll uh, do it again soon. Sounds good, man. 